<clears throat> providence, God's providence is what we're focused on tonight. Somebody tell me what we mean by God's providence. His involvement. His involvement. Anybody else? Sovereignty. The providence of God is really pointing toward his governance um, over all creation. Uh, it's a manner in which he, uh, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. Um, we think about the providence of God, the most common verse and we seemingly touch on it almost every week is Romans 8 28 that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes it doesn't say that everything is good in and of itself but everything that happens in our lives in your lives as believers those who claim to know Christ and profess a love for him that everything that's going on in our life whether it's grandfather sick and ill and in the hospital, whether I, you know, child was in a wreck uh, and got dinged up, or even a young lady dealing with cancer, to the other extreme where everything seems to go the way we want it to, all these things are working together, and the terminology, the connotation in that verse is one of friction, of synergy. It's, you know, sandpaper rubbing against wood, and all these things are God is using together to produce good for us even the things that individually we would consider to be not good versus the things that are good all those things go together in the stew that is our life and God says this will be good and so I use it all for your good and so the providence of God is that's kind of a microcosm of all that God's doing in creation he's accomplishing his purposes and he's using all the things from one end of the spectrum to the other you know, the things that we scratch our head and go, why would a good God allow that to happen? And God says, because I'm God, I use that. I'm going to use that in my purposes to further my plans and, and purposes. Now, anybody can take the perfect scenario and make it work out right. But, but God says, my glory is enhanced when I take not just the good things, the things that you like, the things that you can recognize easily as being good, but when I take the darkest threads in life and weave them in through the pattern of your life and still produce good ultimately all the way around for you and advance my plans and purposes at the same time. That adds to or that magnifies the glory of God. Now, there's several components to this providence of God that uh, Grudem uh, touches on. The first being preservation. 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 God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. God keeps all things 
all created things existing and maintaining the properties that he designed in them when he created them. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now this word upholds. means to bear or carry along. And this word is a present participle, which means what? Some of you English majors. It's active, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's continuous. Uh, he is upholding, he's carrying along always. He's upholding it by the word of his power. Everything that he's created, he's responsible for upholding and carrying it along, supporting it, seeing that it continues, that it doesn't stop, that it doesn't cease. It doesn't simply mean to sustain it, but it has the sense of active, purposeful control over the thing being carried from one place to the other. Colossians 1.17 says, And in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. Every created thing in the universe, in Him, they all continue to exist or endure. They continue to exist or endure. The indication is that if Christ ceased His activity of sustaining then everything would cease existing except for the Trinity itself, except for God Himself, the triune God. God preserves everything, causes everything to act as He has designed it and maintain the properties with which He has designed it. For instance, we know that He created air. You know, we function with air, right? We, we need air. And we have air, and the reason we have air, and the air operates the same way today as it did yesterday, is because God's sustaining it. He's carrying it along. He's upholding it. It's all working still in Him. It depends upon Him. If He decides to change it, He certainly is capable of doing that and can do it. And He's not subject to any natural laws that we have here because He created those to start with so that He could change them anytime He wants to. But... It acts the same today as it did yesterday. We can still breathe today and tomorrow because God is the one who sustains it that way. How'd you get here tonight? You drove a car which has a gasoline engine, right? I won't get in and impress you with what I know about the gasoline engine, but we know that I do know that you pull up to a gas pump and put gas in it, and if you stop doing that, it won't run for very long, will it? But the good news is, when I pull up to the gas pump, if I get the right pump, you know, not the diesel pump or, you know, the air hose or whatever it is, but as long as I put gas in the car, that the gas has the same properties, would have the same properties tonight if I filled up that it did yesterday, and because of that, my car will still run because it the gas still operates the same way. Water acts like water. Today, yesterday, that's very important to us just like air because we're what? Three quarters of water, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Kind of funny. The 
earth is covered, three quarters of the earth is covered in water. We're kind of 70, 75% water. Anything like that? 70%? And you know why your doctor's always telling you to drink more water? So preservation is one of the elements. Another one is concurrence. another aspect of God's providence. And this means that God cooperates with created things in every action. God cooperates with created things in every action directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. It says that he is actively involved. You know, last week we talked about a deist and we said a deist was what? Wasn't that last week? God created us, but then went away and we are on our own. Yeah, that, that God created the universe, creatures, and kind of set it in motion, and then he withdrew and was just letting it run. Uh, but that's not what we find here when we talk about the uh, providence of God. We find a God who is very much involved in what he has made by preserving it, and this concurrence, that he's ensuring that it's working together, that all the created elements are working the way he designed them to work. This is kind of an expansion of this first part of preservation. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Works all things according to the counsel of his will. The word in some translations there is accomplishes or works all things. Accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. And this means that he does work or bring things about. All things according to his will. He's bringing it all to bear. Even when it looks like from our perspective things are coming apart at the seams. When they're unraveling. When they're not working together. God says I'm still in charge. I'm still bringing all these things along together. You can trust me in this. It's one of the reasons that I don't fear all these things that a lot of people fear. For instance, you know, we worry about uh, a nuclear meltdown on our creation. Well, that may happen, but it'll only happen if God deems it to happen. If God says that that's the way he's going to bring about the new world, the new earth, the rest of of creation being restored then and there's nothing we can do about it anyway but we certainly you know I think it's pretty arrogant of us to think that we can destroy what God himself has made because we have combustible engines running around you know if God think about this this, this will set you free on global warming I'm telling you if God designed it and God is responsible to sustain it then how can we destroy it unless we destroy God? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of what God has made. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we don't have to sit around and fret and fume about the hole in the ozone and those kind of things because ultimately God's the one that's bringing all this around and he's got it all under control. No event in creation falls outside of his providence though this is not always clearly evident to us. We may, from our limited view, we may look at it and say, 
It looks like it's outside of God's control. It looks like it's coming apart. It looks like everything's going in the wrong direction. You know, when a hurricane hits or an earthquake happens, and it looks like that it's out of control, but God says, I factored all these things in, and I have it under control. I've ordained that these things happen because they're going to further, I'm going to use them to further my plans and purposes. Now, he, Grudem identified several things under concurrence that we um, can think about. Inanimate creation, for one. What does that mean? Inanimate creation. Natural occurrences. Very good. Somebody did the reading. Natural occurrences. Somebody look up Job 37, verses 6 through 13. And somebody else. Let's see. Who's going to do that one? <coughs> Linda's doing Job 37, 6 through 13. Steve, why don't you do Roman or Job 38, verse 12. Okay. Russ, you're standing up. You do Psalm 104, 14. 104.14. And Steve, when you get to Job 38, 12, mm -hmm. I want you to look at 31 and 32 as well. While you're, while you're there. 32. Okay. okay. Phil? Psalm 104. Let's see. Matthew 6.26. James, Matthew 10.29. Who did I give Psalm 104 to? When you get there, you do verse 14 and also hold on to verses 27 through 29. Okay. That'll save us a little time. All right, Linda, you got Job 37, 6 through 13? Yes. Read it for us, please. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From his chamber comes the whirlwind, and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the, of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. So, I mean, we can identify we can identify countless things in this inanimate creation, right? She mentioned lightning, clouds, wind, rain, snow. Does God really get down into that minutia? Does He really get down into that? I mean, Scripture says He does, doesn't He? Mm -hmm. Says that none of this stuff goes on unless He ordains and directs it to do so. So, all right. A couple weeks ago, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when Florence hit, God created that hurricane and sent it right for the coast of North South Carolina. Is that what we're saying we believe? Yes. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> All right, 104.14. He makes grass grow for the cattle. Goodness, I had broccoli and cauliflower tonight. 
You're telling me that God is responsible for what I ate in there tonight. Right? Broccoli and cauliflower. Garlic on the bread. Along with some butter. All that, God's responsible for all that stuff. We really believe that. Job 38, 12. Job 38, 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? God, you remember, this is the getting toward the end of Job. And Job, you know, you remember from our discussion of Job, our study of Job, Job's kind of starting to feel sorry for him. He's listening to the wrong people, listening to his good friends that were leading him down the wrong path. And he got a little indignant with God. And so God unleashes this sermon on him. says, where were you, Job, when I created all this? I could have used some help since you know so much. Have you ever commanded the morning? Have you ever told the sun to rise? Have you ever told the sky to brighten for a day? Have you ever done that, Job? No, but the creation listens to God. Job 38, 31, and 32. 38, 31, and 32. All right. I was a little bit more. There we go. All right. Uh, chapter 38, uh, verse 31 and 32. Can you bind the chains of the leads please or loose the cords of Orion can you lead forth the uh, Maserat in their season or can you guide the bear with his children do you know the ordinances of the heavens can you establish their rule on the earth can you tell the stars what to do God implies that he does and that he can mm -hmm. he directs the stars in heaven what about the animals Surely, animals have got a mind of their own, right? Just cats. Just cats. <laughs> <laughs> Says a man who has one in his house. Yes. Psalm 104, 27 through 29. They all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, Matthew 6, 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Is he not much better than they? I mean, one of the more fascinating things, <clears throat> I still don't like them, but one of the more fascinating things is to watch the squirrels, especially at this time of year. What do they do with it? You know, they're, they're, a, they're an aggravation. They're a pest. But... They will work, you know. I've got I've got a hickory nut tree in my backyard, and they love to come to my yard. They have parties in my backyard. But you can be sitting out on my patio, and you'll detect movement, and it's strange movement. You know, it's like sawdust falling. And what you do is you look up into the hickory tree, and that's exactly what it is. It's the dust coming from those, because there's one up there just chewing one of those well, and listen, you can take a hammer and not break those nuts. That, I wouldn't stick my finger in a squirrel's mouth for no amount of money. But they're just up there feeding. But now what they do is they'll come back this time of year and they start gathering up those hickory nuts and they bury them. They have them buried all over my backyard. Because they'll come back this winter 
and you'll see these little holes where they've been digging them up. They've even been known to hide them in my attic and come back and get them. Who does that? I don't feed them. In fact, I shoot them with BB guns. Go away, go away, go away. They come back. You know why? Because God's put that hickory tree out there and he feeds them. He feeds them. The birds are the same way. And all of them are out there hanging out, you know. And then, then back in the back a, a couple of months ago, we had uh, we had some owls appear. Looked like maybe young owls. Maybe it's a nest or something back there. And they started appearing. Squirrels and the birds were gone, you know, because God brought all those squirrels and birds there. And the owl said, "Food for me," you know. The food chain was in perfect working order. God does all that. Is what the Scripture tells us. Nobody else is. You know, they'll come on TV tonight and tell you, you know, you need to give money to somebody because they got to take care of all these animals that are going to starve to death. And I say, look, God's got it all handled, right? Don't have to worry about it. All right, Matthew 10, 29, did we read that one? Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Can you imagine that, that there's not, you know, occasionally in the wintertime you might find a bird that's, you know, it's banged into a window or something and it's, it's dead, it's lying there. The scripture says that there's not a one of them falls to the ground that God didn't know. Occasionally I'll find a bird's nest on the ground, you know, where it's fallen out of a tree during a storm or something and there'll be, you know, a, a broken egg there. You know, just the shell, that's all there is. And scripture says that God knew knows that. I mean, how big and vast uh, is a God who keeps up with minute creatures in that way, that's worried about how the grass is clothed and, and appears? Seemingly random or chance events are a part of concurrence. Is there such a thing? Does anything just happen? Nope. You're not sure. <laughs> we think so, not from God's perspective. We do think so. In fact, you know, I mean, how many conversations you hear people attribute things to luck, good fortune? Just fell into place. What's that? They say, oh, it just fell into place. Fell into place. It all just happened for me. You know, it's my, my lucky day today. Uh, we've got a whole culture here in America that is built on that, isn't it? I mean, we've got a gaming industry that's just sweeping the land. Uh, people showing up, and my mom was telling me, she still lives up in western North Carolina, and I don't know how long it's been now, maybe 20 years ago, uh, Indian Reservation in Cherokee, there outside, about an hour from where I grew up, you know, got a license to build the first casino there. And so they, there's several casinos there, but she told me that there were people there in our small rural community that literally lost their minds when that casino opened up, that they would go over and take, she worked at a plant, working in their, um, did something with their, you know, benefits for employees or something. And she said people would take their paychecks and things and go over there and gamble that money away and then they'd come right back and go back to work and work again so they could do it again. And that they literally lost everything they had worked their whole lives for 
just on those chances, you know, that they might win something, you know, that they didn't have to work for, I guess. Uh, but that's a kind of a mentality, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the, I mean, is there any other reason to gamble other than to try to get jump frog, leapfrog ahead and get, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess some people look at it and say it's recreation. I, there's no such thing. Nothing just happens. You know, the, the casting of lots is the most typical random of events, you know, rolling the dice. And yet, the scripture affirms that such an outcome is from God. Proverbs 16.31, David. Can you look that one up for us? Proverbs 16.31, or 33, sorry. Proverbs 16, verse 33. Nothing just happens. Nothing happens coincidentally. We talked last week about evolution uh, and, and the whole premise of evolution is on randomness right and that God's not a God of randomness that God is a God of plan and precision and direction and purpose but everything about uh, Darwin's theory was built on random chance you know and survival of the fittest you know, I never have figured out yet why those people get excited about things going extinct isn't that the way it's supposed to work Survival of the fittest. If you cannot fit it, you're going to go extinct, right? Okay. You got it? Now, Proverbs 16, verse 3. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision of the Lord. Lot's cast, but God's responsible for how it lands. <clears throat> Events fully caused by God and the creature as well. What about that? You know, we'd consider God to be a primary cause. But can the creature then be a secondary cause? Can, the, can those two things happen simultaneously? For any of the foregoing events, we could offer a natural explanation. The meteorologist can tell us the cause of rain, snow, hurricanes. They can explain it to us, right? They often do, right? Anybody in here one of those people addicted to the weather channel during storms coming up? You know, my daughter says, I've been watching this and I'm addicted to it. I can't get off of it. But it's, I know that it's, you know, it's not, it's so much of it's commercial driven, you know, and they're, they're driving an agenda and yet I can't turn it off. I started to do an intervention, but I didn't know where to send it. <laughs> A meteorologist can explain the cause of rain, snow, and hurricanes. A botanist describes how grass or plants grow. Anybody ever see the movie The Martian? You ever see that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Guy that got trapped on Mars and was an astronaut, but he was a botanist and he figured out how to survive. Uh, that's pretty fascinating to me. Can't imagine being trapped somewhere and knowing you're not going to see anybody for five years. But, but Scripture says that God causes these things to grow and for rain to occur and for the snow to fall. So how do we reconcile that? That that creation, creatures have a hand in this, but at the same time the scripture says God causes it. Is it possible for the two things to be true at the same time? We can't afford to default to the natural explanation and ignore God. We cannot give partial credit to God in part to other factors. God is totally responsible. That's what we understand when we read the scripture. And he uses natural factors in the process. So God says, I have created all these elements and I oversee them and I manage them 
and I cause things to occur, but I also use the processes that I've put into place. Let's take human reproduction, for instance. Does God make creatures, people? Mm -hmm. the, you know, when we have a new baby, do we give God the credit for that? You know, human beings have a part in that, a role in that reproduction process. So we say, okay, we, we made a baby. But ultimately, God did. God put the processes in place. Mm -hmm. God oversees it. But it's, both can be true, right? But we know ultimate responsibility for this falls to the hand of our maker. Events are 100% caused by God, 100% caused by the creature creation. It's not a contradiction for those two things to be true simultaneously. The divine cause is the invisible hand of God most often. He uses the visible properties and created things and creatures to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. God is the first cause. The creatures, the creation factors are secondary causes. Affairs of nations. So, that mean? Does that mean that God is overseeing the interactions of nations? That if there's a trade war going on between the U.S. and China, that he's in, that he knows that, that he's orchestrating that, that he's coordinating that? What about in uh, Nigeria, where you have uh, a bunch of renegades over there uh, taking a priest hostage? You know, is God over that? What's God's role in that? If he's in charge of everything, how does that happen? <clears throat> does God cause it? I think causing it and knowing the reason why he does it is, are two different things that we need to be careful about. Because what you can say is, you know, God destroyed, you know, you know like for example, in New Orleans, you can say, well, God did that because of this. So I think what sometimes we we all get into this little issue where, you know, what's the real reason why? And when we start to surmise what the reason why he does it, I think that's where we get into trouble. We don't really know the reason why sometimes why God does things, but he does them. And I think that's part of what you're saying. I think what the One of the struggles we have is finding the right words to properly articulate things. Yeah. Cause, technically... It's probably right. Though we would never say that God causes evil to happen. In some way, God does by ordaining that it happens. He says so. He's done it. Um, for instance, we could look in the Old Testament and see where uh, Egypt, God prospered Egypt, and Egypt ended up putting Israel in bondage. God had a hand in that occurring. That was evil, right? I mean, but God had a had a grander purpose in mind. He had a purpose ultimately to liberate and move. And the same thing is true everywhere. Jesus went to the cross, one of the most cruel, heinous acts in the history of mankind. Did God cause that? He ordained it. He ordained it. He certainly did. So while cause technically is probably accurate, it's it's a word that's hard for us to have a palate for when we think about this, but the fact that God ordains it. But if nothing happens without God's granting it permission to do, 
It's like allowance, right? With Job. You know, where Satan comes and says, Have you, you know, you serve in Job if you take, you know, if you take yeah. all this away from him, then, you know, will he still serve you, basically? And God says you have permission to take everything he's got. Just don't touch him right now. Right. Well, I kind of reconcile that cause to me is God directly involved, directly acting on ordained because he, he approves it. I kind of think of it more in terms of God just allows it. He doesn't interfere. He allows it. He knows it's going to happen. And so he just lets it happen to his glory. Jerry, there's a paragraph in the lesson that goes well with this. It says, we've come to the point where we confess that we do not understand how it is that God can ordain that we carry out evil deeds and yet holds us accountable for them and not be blamed himself. We can affirm that all things are true because Scripture teaches them, but Scripture does not tell us exactly how God brings this situation about or how it can be that God holds us accountable for what he ordains will come to pass. Here, Scripture is silent, and we have to agree with Burkhoff that ultimately the problem of God's relation to sin remains a mystery. If, if God has the power to stop, He's all-powerful and he can stop a heinous, evil deed and he doesn't do it. Is that just allowing it benignly sitting by and allowing it to happen? We don't know. There's, there's no way for us to, to answer this fully for us to comprehend. But what I'm saying is there's a tension here that yes, God is sovereign in control at the same time. The, the creatures have a responsibility in this uh, we we do the evil but God says I use what's taking place he he clearly ordained that Assyria would rise and and plunder Israel he clearly said that he was going to raise up Babylon to do the same thing he clearly in Genesis uh, sent Joseph via Brutality. I mean, his brothers wanted to kill him. They decided not to. They ended up lying to his father about his death, and they sold him into slavery. And Joseph even said in chapter 45, verse 5, he said, You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, that he sent me here to preserve life, even though from that perspective, you know, we can say, Wow, that was a pretty heinous way to go about it. But we're looking at it from this one side of the, of the, you know, one angle that we have, which is a limited angle. We have no way of knowing from the sovereign viewpoint of God what's taking place. We just know that he said he's using it all to, to accomplish his purposes. And it's a hard thing to reconcile. Honestly, though, if he's not in control of those kind of things that we don't really like, then we can't trust him at all. He has to be in total control or we can't trust him. That's right. And we have to trust him. I mean, he has to be in total control. I mean, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Um, I mean, you when you look through Scripture, you find this over and over and over that God, you know, has designed for evil to be used in our lives, but he's designed to use it for purposes that he will bring about his glory through, whatever those may be. I.e., again, the crucifixion of Christ himself is a perfect illustration of this. 
Judas, you know, his betrayal. You know, he was ordained to do that, but he was still responsible for his actions. And Jesus even appealed to him yeah. to that there was still hope. Right. Not to, but you know, the scripture says that Satan entered him and he said, Whatever you do, do quickly. You know, I think Paul said it well, you know, what uh, that we if we look at God and say, Well, he ordained such and such, but he allowed something else to happen as if he had no control. But he is in control of everything, and I think we have to surrender to that and trust him. That's right. And that, but that's the hard thing, you know. It's easy for us to surrender when things are good, you know. When my job is intact and I'm getting a raise, and you know the kids are healthy and everything's going the way I want it to. But when we find out that a seven-year-old girl has cancer that's terminal, and we go, you know, we have a hard time with that, don't we? Reconciling. And we hear it all the time. Isn't that the big criticism from the lost community about our God? How can a good God allow such horrible things to happen when he could clear? If he's who you claim he is, why doesn't he fix that? Well, the scripture teaches us that he is fixing it. He's just not fixing it in the way we want him to fix it. He's fixing it according to his designs and his glory, which we can't appreciate with our limited perspective on things now that's not a satisfactory answer for most but it's all we've got that's all we've got we only know what we know that's going to haunt me isn't it I'm going to write that down yeah. Yeah, write that down that will be on the final exam he, Philippians 4.19 he often you know it says our God will supply all of our needs you know my God shall supply all of my needs. And he often uses ordinary means to do so. Psalm 139, 16. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So everything that comes into my life, good, bad, or perceivably indifferent, has been ordained by God for me. Since before the foundation of the world. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Willingly, responsible choices, real and eternal results. If God is in control, do our choices matter? I mean, this now we're getting down to the heart of providence. If God is in control, do our choices matter? Of course they do. Of course they do. Yes, they do. Well, how? If God is sovereign, he's in absolute control of everything. There's not one atom in all the universe that's running rogue outside of God's control. Then can't we just say what's going to be is going to be? So why worry about it? Why fret about it? That's fatalism. It is. <laughs> And, and we have two, two extremes here. One is fatalism. What's the opposite of that? Optimism. <laughs> 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 
If God is in control, do our choices matter? Some say that if our choices are real, they cannot be caused by God. So God is not in complete control if our choices matter. Others say that if our choices are caused by God, then they are not real. But the problem is, if you go too far on either extreme there, you're going to end up in a place that you don't want to be, that, that is not accurate. You have to find the tension. And, and we're programmed to not like tension. We want... We want everything to fall into place and us to be able to understand it and explain it. But you can't do that with God. There's a, there's a degree, there's a shroud of mystery around this that we can't, we just can't go there. And, and there is a place where when people start questioning God on this, they say, well, you know, that's not right. And what does, what does God say about that? Well, he speaks through Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and says, does the, who are you as, as the clay? Does the clay stand up and tell the potter what to do and what's right or wrong? No, he doesn't do that. That we defer to his sovereignty. Uh, that's kind of my philosophy. When I can't understand it and I don't like it, I'm still going to defer to God's sovereignty. That his promises have told me he's working these things out according to his design and for my good. It may not be very tasty. It may not be very comfortable, but he's never promised me that all the time. He's promised that he'll work it out for my good and for his glory. Here, let that, me ask you a question then, just to make sure I understand. Uh, God's given me free will. And because of that free will, I make choices all the time. He knows ahead of time what choices I'm going to make today until the day I die. Um, and he allows those me to make those choices. Does that mean he causes them? Or yes. Okay. And yes. The answer is yes and yes. You know, all analogies break down and all analogies are not fully satisfying. But if you've got this river running, and, and let's say this is the perfect, complete will of God for all the universe, okay? And in there is me. And, you know, I may swim over to this side or may swim over to that side, but I'm still going to be in the confines, in the context of his complete will. God knows all those things. He does give us freedom, choices that do have results and consequences, but we're never out on the banks outside his will. I got no problem with that. Okay. So, if I swim over here and I'm doing my own thing, did God know that? Yeah. Absolutely he did. Did God cause it? To a certain degree he does. But, you know, some of it is he knows he's given me these freedoms to exercise choices and he's planned for all of those things to accommodate and to use even when I make bad choices you know God doesn't cause evil but God will use that which is evil to accomplish his purposes I got that that part I understand this is the hard thing for us you know people like to say free will and that's an important thing we do make choices 
that matter. But we also have to understand that when we talk about free will, you have to define this. And I've written this down somewhere. Let me get to it. What does it mean when we talk about free will? Where did I put that? Okay, here it is. In fact, I just quoted Grudem from page 151 in his book. This is what he says about free will. If God exercises providential control over all events, are we in any sense free? The answer depends upon the definition of free. The kind of freedom that is often assumed by those who deny God's providential control of all things is a freedom to act outside God's sustaining and controlling activity. So, do I have the freedom to go out here? No, I don't. I have a degree of freedom, but I don't have the ultimate degree to go outside of God and His control. So again, so this, this river analogy, so that's God's will that, that I'm a part of. It's for all creation. Yeah. Right. And eventually, because of this creation, we got the beginning and we will have the end, or the new beginning, whichever term yeah. it is. But in the meantime, as long as we're in the river, we can make decisions that will bounce us around, but we're going to stay within the river. Yeah, you may end up on the rocks. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or in an eddy, you know, but you're not going to go outside the boundaries of God's ultimate will, his, his perfect will. You may find yourself going, doing things that make it a lot more difficult. But he does allow that kind of freedom. And again, there's a mystery there. We don't, we don't really know. And the really confusing part is that not only that, there's unbelievers in that river flowing down. Yeah, there's going to be a fork down here. Mm -hmm. Think about Jonah. You know, yep. He ran away. How far did that get him? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty good analogy. And I mean, you know, it's not always that graphic and that vivid for us. Is that we we may go outside of. We may defy God with our freedom or defy what his perfect plan is for us and, and God may use circumstances or discomfort or shipwreck or on the rocks to bring us back into where he wants us to be, back in the center of, of his plan for us. But that's not to say that God, again, didn't know all those things ahead of time. And I think we also have to be careful. You know, some of us want to stand up here at the beginning and say, well, you know, God looked down the corridor and saw all these things, so he's going to react to us. But that's not true. God, we're reacting in the context of God's will. So are you saying unbelievers to the extent like, you know, the, uh, the shootings in Las Vegas and stuff, that murderer, he can't, you know, I, he can't be in the faith. I'm, I wouldn't think so. He's in that river. He's not outside that river. All those people, you know, the ones that blew up the to be World To Trade be outside Center. of that, he'd have to be outside of creation. And, oh, yeah. okay. Just not outside of, okay. Not outside God's providence. Yeah, okay. I just think I would give up on that. Uh, well, well, that's a different question entirely. Yeah, we'll get to that one. <laughs> it's similar to like a dog on a leash, and I hate to use that example, but it's like a dog on a leash. You know, they have a certain area over which they can roam, but they still are, are going to walk with you when you take a walk. 
That's so, that's uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, all of our analogies we're, fall we're short because, because we, will, I think we don't really understand this. Let me finish this. This what Grudem said. That kind of freedom would be impossible if, G, um, if Jesus Christ is indeed continually carrying along things by the word of His power, and if God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. If this is true, to be outside of that providential control would simply be not to exist. An absolute freedom, totally free of God's control, is simply not possible in a world providentially sustained and directed by God Himself. If that is what someone means by free will, it is inconsistent with Scripture to say that we have free will. On the other hand, we are free in the greatest sense that any creature of God could be free. We, we make willing choices, choices that have real effects. We are aware of no restraints on our will from God when we make decisions, and we act in accord with our own desires. In this sense, it is certainly consistent with Scripture to say that we have free will in that, in that way. Clearly, we must insist that we have the power of willing choice and that our choices have real results in the universe. Otherwise, we will fall into the error of fatalism or determinism and thus conclude that our choices do not matter or that we really cannot really make willing choices. So. This is a tough one. I mean, it sure you is. think of people Listen. like what is his name, Jim Jones, that killed all those. That was in God's providence. I mean, it's like yes, it was. I know, yeah. I know, but it's just hard. Could to, God have stopped it? Yes, it. he could, but he didn't. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking of, you talk about Romans eight twenty eight, Hitler killed six million Jews, but what was the net result of that when all was said and done? Israel, I think, a large result of that. Israel became a nation again, which God using that. Well, it's also important to remember that in that Romans eight twenty eight, he says, for all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Right. Don't know that you can make that same um, connection to those that don't love him. But yes, we can see, we can see obvious things that we would go, Okay, well, we see the good that's come out of that, right? And listen, there are a lot smarter people than me that have been grappling with these issues for <coughs> centuries and have not, have not res resolved it, you know, because there's just too much mystery there. We, we can't know the mind of God. We know what Scripture tells us. We know what we know. And one of the things you'll find out with Grudem, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, but the one thing I do appreciate about him is that he's committed to go back and say, what does Scripture say? And we can only, we can only stick by what Scripture says. You know, we, we don't make up things. We can't speculate on things that we're not told. We are told that God is sovereign, that he's absolutely in control of everything providentially, and we are told that we make choices that matter. You know, that God elects whom he's going to save, that he chooses but we bear responsibility for our choices and our decision to follow Christ or not follow Christ. How do you reconcile that? That's the mystery. There's a tension. And we probably won't solve it tonight. So with that note, before it gets any deeper in here, I'm going to stop. <laughs> Are we going to still be in chapter 8 next time? No. No. no? There'll be more time to touch on these subjects as we move along, as we get into the election and, and all those good things. Um.
So finish it on your own. It'll be on the test. You know that I don't know why I